I'm glad to be here. Now, what I'm sharing with you tonight uh, is going to be a little different. For one thing, it might be different from what was advertised. It doesn't mean everything this week is, but I just felt impressed to uh, open up and share with you a little bit uh, something, a sermon, uh, something new called Cold Confession. And uh, I am going to make a long confession in my message tonight. Now, there will be a point. So you have to stay with me. You might wonder, where in the world is he going with all of this? I'm just going to ask you to trust me and stick around. But what I'm going to tell you is a true odyssey, a personal odyssey, that I'm hoping God will help you know how to apply to your own life. But to Pastor Doug, that uh, many of you love and respect, I'm telling you that I was an addict, for 30 years. And I'm not talking about drugs. Not directly, anyway. I'm not talking about alcohol, cigarettes. I had an addiction to ice cream. <laughs> See, I knew you'd laugh. That is my cold confession. And I say it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'm really serious. Now, I need to make, make it clear right at the beginning. I am not suggesting, I hope you're all hearing this part. Someone's going to tune in halfway through this broadcast and think we're really weird. But I'm not suggesting that ice cream is a sin. Is that clear? It could be. For you, it became one for me. And some things that might be okay for you, might not be okay for somebody else. But, um, and it goes way back. I don't know exactly how it started, but one of my earliest memories when I was in Southern California, a place called Tahunga, actually lived with my grandmother and it was all country back then. They had goats and chickens and now it's Universal Studios around there in Southern California. It's just uh, very different. They used to have this music you would hear coming from up the street. And it was called The Good Humor Man. Do any of you remember? And he had this little white truck and he would wear a white uniform and he had a little chain jingler thing on his side for the kids. And he would take his little truck and it had several compartment refrigerated doors in it. I don't think it was really refrigerated. They threw dry ice in there. I remember once he pulled out the dry ice and I saw it steaming. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, I made the mistake once of putting my tongue on it. I don't need to tell you what happened, but you already know. Don't try it. But that was, to me, it, it was, you know, it was almost like the second coming when you'd hear that music. It was angelic. <laughs> because in Southern California, in the summertime, it gets very hot. And not everyone had air conditioning back then. And we would hear that music. And all the kids in the neighborhood would cluster at a few kind of predetermined spots where the truck would stop. And I'd go with my brother. We'd go running and we would beg Grandma for some change. And it wasn't a lot. You know, it was like somewhere between 5 and 25 cents depending on what you got. And he'd pull out one of these treats. And uh, usually he was pretty jovial. Sometimes you'd get a good humor man that wasn't very humorous. Most of them were pretty nice. And... Um, He'd see this swarm of kids that would all huddle around and he'd be listening to them scream out their orders. And I remember some of my favorites were they had, uh, my favorite was 
a vanilla ice cream on a stick that was dipped somehow in orange juice, so it had like an orange juice coating. Do you know what? Yeah, those are great. They still make them? Oh, yeah, that was great. And then uh, they had what they called a rainbow rocket. It was a double popsicle that had all different colors, probably all kinds of food coloring and chemicals in there, but it was really good. And they'd break it. You could break it in half and give one half to a friend if you want. You'd split a rainbow rocket. It was just all rainbow, all these different colors. And, and then they had the cones, you know. The, and the, it was just, it was the highlight of our day. But Grandma said, I lived with my Jewish grandma. Parents had gone through a divorce then. My brother and I lived with Grandma. And Grandma said, it's a treat. I can't give you money for the good humor man every day. And I'm thinking this may be where my life of crime began. <laughs> because to see all the other kids run out to the truck and it stopped right in front of our house and not be able to get something when the dealer came through town was so devastating that I remember my grandmother, she hung her black purse on the doorknob in her bedroom. And I heard the music and I said, Grandma, Grandma. And she said, no, not every day. It's a treat. You can't have it every day. It's not good for you to eat ice cream every day. And I should have listened to Grandma. But I remember I dug around in her purse one day and inside her purse she had another little purse, you know, the little change purse. And it was back then, I was like four or five years old, but I still vividly remember struggling to take that little twisty snap and open it up and dig out some change. And I remember I did it a couple times and then one day she said, she saw me eating ice cream. She said, where'd you get that? Uh, I, I don't remember what I told her. But somehow she drilled down and found out that I had taken some change out of her purse. And boy, I tell you, my grandma was tough. <laughs> she was a tough lady. And I remember one time I stuck my tongue out at her. And she said, you look so adorable when you do that. Could you do that again? And I stuck out my tongue and she quickly slapped me on the bottom of my chin and made me bite my tongue. Now today she'd be arrested for that, but back then, how many of you remember? Some of your, any of you have grandparents or parents like that? They just wouldn't tolerate sassiness at all. But she's resting in peace now, so I can tell on her. But uh, my grandma was really tough. And I, I remember she taught me a lesson about stealing. Actually, I she caught me several times once she tells me I don't remember this she said somehow I stole a bow and arrow from Woolworths and she still doesn't know how I got it in my pants and got out the, got out the door but uh, she tried she took me once to the police station this is true and she wanted the policeman to talk some fear into me about stealing and he said you'll be in jail and you won't get anything but bread and water. I said, I don't care. I was really, really stubborn. And she whispered to the policeman, I know now, he, he said, all you'll get to eat is peas. And my, my grandmother knew I hated peas. So I remember the ice cream being a big part of my life back then. And then I went to live with mom in New York City. And it was a special treat uh, uh, two or three times a week. You know, we'd get together as a family, my mother and my brother and I, and she'd get us a bowl of vanilla or strawberry ice cream, and 
We'd watch the wonderful world of Disney, and it was just like the family bonding time. Maybe there's this mental association. I'm not going to hyper-psychoanalyze my ice cream addiction, but it was rooted in something. You know, I heard a study, and I, I meant to print it out, and I left it on my laptop. Um, I think it was a Norwegian group, Halvak. They did a study on the chemical effect of fat on the brain fatty solutions and ice cream is mostly a fat and they got a number of volunteers and they must have paid them dearly because they had the volunteers accept a feeding tube into their stomachs and they wouldn't tell them what they were feeding them some of them got a salt solution some of them would get no there's nothing harmful but some of them would get a fatty solution some of them would get a salt solution or acidic solution and they noticed, and then they have pictures and things go on the screen, and they measured their brain responses and the chemicals. And they said that when they uh, introduced a fatty solution into their stomachs, it had the same effect on their brain as the best antidepressants. It, it produced this comfort feeling. And so you always wondered why it made you feel so good to eat something like french fries or ice cream, there's actually, it's, uh, it's like an antidepressant. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I got where there was this association, I just really liked ice cream. From moms, I went to military school. And um, I still remember to this day, do you know I went to the same military school as Donald Trump? He was a senior, but I was in elementary school. I want you to know I'm younger than he is. New York Military Academy. And um, one of the highlights of the week was we went through this cafeteria. Every now and then they would toss an ice cream sandwich on our tray with the other mush they fed us. And it was what they called Neapolitan. It was in one ice cream sandwich they had chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. And I always got that confused with Napoleon. I couldn't figure out what Napoleon had to do with strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla. But I would trade people my main course for their ice cream. And uh, matter of fact, I remember I would break off the chocolate. I never did care much for chocolate. I'd try to trade the chocolate part of my sandwich for other people's vanilla and strawberry. <laughs> but those were vivid memories. It was just so important to me. Ice cream. Ran away, in and out of jail. Time went by. Then I went to live with Dad. And living with Dad, uh, the ice cream addiction got worse. Now, some of you remember the days when they would have milkmen that would bring the milk to your door. Well, in Miami, I looked online and the company's still in business. It was called MacArthur Dairy. They've been there for years. But back when I was growing up, they actually had milkmen. And my dad lived in kind of a very nice neighborhood and, and they would still deliver to the door and my stepmother would fill out uh, what, she, what she wanted and there, like two, three days a week he'd come by. It wasn't every day. But she would put ice cream down. He would not only bring ice cream, and she had to pick it up right away. It would melt there in Miami. Uh, they'd give you a fresh Tropicana orange juice that was squeezed within 24 hours. That was really good. So, you know, I started almost every night. Uh, and Betty, we had a couple of freezers in the house. And uh, almost every night, I would eat a third or half a pint of vanilla ice cream with Tropicana orange juice because it reminded me of those things a good humor man had. The orange was a great taste. 
And I remember Betty always complaining, who ate all the ice cream? And I could eat a meal, so I was stuffed to the gills. And um, still eat half a pint or more of ice cream. And then things went from bad to worse. My dad said I had to go get a job. And guess where I got a job? Baskin Robbins. It's the truth. And 31 flavors. Now that's not because they have 31 flavors. They've got thousands of flavors. They guarantee to have 31 flavors at all times in the store. And I remember Mr. Lee Scott, it was, he bought the store, he opened it, I was there for the grand opening, he trained all the first employees, I was one of the first, I was 14 years old, I was one of the first employees, young, younger than some of the others, but he liked me because I'd come out of military school and I was a clean nut. You can ask Karen about that someday, but I am a little OCD about things being in order and polished and clean and I just can't stand disorganization and, and I knew how to run the buffing machine to buff the linoleum floors because in military school we had to buff floors and he was really impressed by that. Was, you know those big buffing machines? You rock them up, they go one way, you rock them down, they go, you can hurt yourself if you don't know how to use one of those things. And so when I got the job there, I finally got up the guts to ask through the interview and the training. I said, now Mr. Scott, are we allowed to eat the ice cream? He said, oh, of course, whenever you want. He said, you'll get tired of it. I never even got close to getting tired of it. <laughs> and I can't count how many times that I just skipped lunch the days I was working and I just had a great big old plate of ice cream. And I'd go through up and down, you know, they had all these different flavors. And I'd do that. I'll have some daiquiri ice and I'll have some pralines and cream. And, I'll, and I'd just mix them all up and I'd eat it. And it is amazing how God made teenagers where your bodies can endure that kind of abuse. I, I think back on what I eat and I just can't believe it. And I was still able to function a little bit <laughs> after that. It really was amazing. So I ate a lot of ice cream every day and I never got tired of it and uh, you know it says in the Bible 1 Corinthians 10 31 therefore whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God now God winked at these times of ignorance back then because I really didn't know I was just a lost pagan poor you know kid you want to hear an amazing fact it's not really, it's just trivia, but you, um, some of you know Clifford Goldstein, who has been the editor of our Sabbath School Quarterly for many years. Um, he and I were visiting, just ran into each other in Canada during a general conference meeting, wandering around. We went and got some food together, started talking, and um, said, where do you go to school? We're growing up. I said, well, you know, I went to Florida. Oh, I'm from Florida. Where? And I said, well, I went to a school in Miami Beach called Nautilus. And Clifford said, I went to Nautilus. And so, you know, lo and behold, we went to the same school. Here you've got these two Jewish atheist kids going to the same school there in Florida. One of them edits the Sabbath school lesson. The other one teaches it. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I, just thought, I don't know. Hey, it's trivia, but I always thought that was kind of interesting. Now, we always tease each other about having gone to school together when we were atheists. We didn't really know each other back then, though. But... Um, so I didn't know back then. But then I, you know, I uh, ended up 
in the cave. Uh, different things happen. When I lived up in the desert in the mountains, I had no refrigerator. I had no freezer. No way to keep ice cream. But one of the main reasons, and this is true, I, it, it was a two and a half hour hike up to where I lived. But I would hike all the way to town for ice cream. And then I have to hike back up again. Now, I don't know if any of you remember the days when um, Thrifty's Drugstore had ice cream for a nickel a scoop. And I would go all the way down to Palm Springs. I had no money. I would panhandle, and I'd get 15 cents, and you could get a triple, three scoops, one on top of another, of ice cream. I had no money for food. I had no money for the, you know, the necessities of life, and I would spend my only 15 cents on ice cream. Are you starting to see where this is going? That's a sign of an addiction. You ever met a person that would um, take their last $5 and spend it on whiskey when they have nothing to eat? I remember one time spending my last 2 or $3 on a can of bugler tobacco because I had no cigarettes. And... Couldn't, didn't have money to pay bills or pay back people you owe, but you've always got money for your addiction. Now, am I making it clear? I'm not saying if you eat ice cream. Matter of fact, I expect after a sermon like this, you're probably going to all go home and get ice cream just because I'm making you think about it so much. But for me, this really became a problem. I haven't even begun to tell you how bad it got. So I'd hike all the way to town and uh, to get... Uh, panhandle, beg for money, and then I'd take my money and I'd go buy a triple scoop. And, it, you know, it was pretty special when you live in the desert. I remember one day, we were out in front of Thrifties and we were panhandling. I was with a couple of my street buddies. You know, these are just some of the derelicts. I guess that's what I was back then, to live on the streets. Some kid came out of Thrifties. He had just gotten, his parents had gotten him a triple scoop, triple decker ice cream cone. And he walked out, and, you know, at Thrifty's, the same guy that was scooping the ice cream was also running the cash register and stocking the shelves. He wasn't really good at it. It was just one of the many things that they did there. And he didn't press that first scoop down into the cone. I was pretty good when I worked at Baskin-Robbins. They used to make us continue to weigh our scoops, two and a half ounces, every scoop. You had to weigh it, make sure. They put it on paper, and you put it back in. They'd, we had a little contest, because they don't want you giving away too much ice cream. And so the guy there at Thrifty's didn't take this kid's first scoop and press it down enough. The ice cream sticks to the ice cream okay, but if you don't get it in the cone, and that kid came out this hot day there in Palm Springs, California. And he went around the corner with his parents, and he was looking the other way, and his ice cream fell off the cone and landed on the street. But just the way it fell, it did not fall and land sideways. It fell and landed upright. Fred could, probably couldn't repeat it if he had tried it a hundred times. But it landed where the top scoop just it tumbled down, it landed, and the other two scoops were sticking up. And the kids started to cry, and the parents said, that's okay, 15 cents, let's go back in. They went back in. I'm standing here with my friends, we're looking at it. <laughs> and we're thinking, that's perfectly good. He didn't, he just... <laughs> here it's, you know, it's a hundred degrees out, and if someone doesn't go after that pretty quick, and it was only the top 
of one scoop that was touching the sidewalk, the other was suspended, and the kid hadn't even licked it yet. What a terrible waste. It's true. And before I could act on what I was thinking, my friend, we called him Little Richie. Uh, he was very short. And uh, he got down on all fours there on the sidewalk and began to eat the ice cream. And he's eating a little bit. He looked at it. It's good. Nothing wrong. <laughs> I was kind of upset because he got there first. And I might have tried it, except I didn't want to try it after Richie had gone and defiled it. But uh, you got to be pretty desperate to even think that way. Well, then I, um, I moved from the cave down into Palm Springs. I went into the meat business. I don't know if any of you ever read my testimony, but I was selling steak. And now I'm a vegetarian, but I, I was selling steak. And, and at the end of the day, I would buy... Uh, I, I, would buy a half gallon of ice cream and I'm not exaggerating I would sit there and watch this black and white television and eat uh, a whole pint what's that half a quart I'd eat half of it and that would be after a meal too now you might be thinking Pastor Doug how do you get away with that because you never got very big I look at pictures of myself back then I think well, that, it just defies any kind of metabolic logic because I was just 130 pounds and I knew I was just eating ice cream like a pig every day. Now, it wasn't just I come to town every few days. It was every day. And if I didn't, I started feeling like I was left out. Then moved up into the hills in Covalo. Our nearest neighbors... We still have the property when I, this is where I was baptized 40 years ago, up in the hills in Northern California. And uh, oh, you, you might be interested in, I flew up there with a couple of our Amazing Facts team. People have asked me for years, I said, Pastor Doug, why don't you do a little country living segment on, you know, what you've learned about living in the hills? Because we were using solar and all this 30 years ago. So finally, we videotaped something that's being edited. Now you'll enjoy it, kind of country living with the caveman. So we'll... It'll be a YouTube. It'll be free. Anyway, so I went up there. But to get to ice cream, I had to drive 30 miles, not to mention the gas. And if for whatever reason, if I ran out, I'd go all the way down to town. And if I got to that town um, before, uh, after the stores closed, the next town was 40 miles beyond that. I can think of once or twice I drove that far. Now, is that an addiction? I tell you, friends, I had it really bad. Now, in the meantime, along the way, I became a vegetarian. So here I am, a vegetarian, and I was very strict about it. I mean, when I had the meat business, I became a vegetarian before I was baptized. I've not eaten meat, except some of you probably snuck it into a potluck here and there that I don't know about. I've bitten into a few things at potluck, and I looked around, and I thought, I'm not saying anything. But, uh, or restaurant, you know. Or, but here I am, I'm a vegetarian. I'd brag about my vegetarianism. But then at night, I'd sequester myself, and I'd gorge on ice cream. Years ago, they had, you know, so that's, by the way, that's kind of called hypocrisy. <laughs> Something I learned 
when you become a Christian and you give up all of the obvious sin, you're, you know, drinking and smoking and things like that, if you've got anything left that's sort of socially acceptable, you overcompensate. I never knew people ate so much sugar until I became a Christian. And there are people who say, I don't drink and I don't smoke, but I went to a lot of Baptist potlucks where, I, man, there's just a lot of donuts and cakes and things like that. It's like they're overcompensating. Not just Baptist potlucks. Do you know gluttony is a sin? That was a very feeble amen, but I just told you the truth. <laughs> Beware, lest your hearts be overcharged with eating and drinking and the cares of this life, lest that day overtake you as a thief. Paul talks about those whose stomach is their God. Their belly is their God. That's where I was, friends. And the reason it was easy to become a vegetarian was a selfish reason. I learned about meat and all kinds of rotten things about it, and I just said, well, I don't want to do that to myself. I wasn't thinking about the glory of God. I was thinking about, I don't want to, I want to live longer. But boy, ice cream was tough. And then I got to the point where I gave up milk, and I gave up cheese, and I enjoyed telling people, I don't use milk. I use soy milk. I use almond milk, rice dream. I felt a little sanctimonious. I do eat a pint of haagen every night. <laughs> I started feeling convicted. Went to New Mexico to do mission work. And, uh, you know, one of the bad things that happened when I went to Baskin Robbins, I, I not only became a user, I became a dealer. <laughs> and then I, when I was in New Mexico, I remember we had some friends that were working in the mission field with us, and I, you know, you get close to people, and pretty soon they know what your personal secrets are. And I, I said, hey, brother so-and-so, I said, uh, I want a little ice cream. Oh, sure, I'll have, well, I don't know, maybe I think take it a little. And we would go buy a pint of haagen and then cut it in half. Wouldn't take the top off. We would cut it with a knife in half, flip it in two, and I'd say, you take half. You know, the lid, it's, they're sealed at the top. i say, you take half, I'll take it, and we just eat, eat it right out of there. And uh, then I'd preach on the health message. Good sermons on the health message. And then what I said was true, but... Uh, Almost every day for years. I read somewhere, average American eats 48 pints of ice cream per year. The world record is the New Zealanders. I don't know how much they eat, but they eat more than the Americans. I just estimate that at the peak, I was eating at least 140 pints a year because I was frequently eating a half a pint of haagen Sometimes I'd eat the whole thing. I'd be on the road in a hotel, and I would, um, I always found out that 7-Eleven carries haagen And I would walk a mile or more. Yeah, then I'd say, I'm exercising. Yeah, I'm working it off. It doesn't matter. And as long as I could look in the mirror, and the doctor says, Doug, your cholesterol's fine. I said, praise the Lord. And then haagen came out with something called honey vanilla. And I said, well, it says in the Bible he's taking us to a land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> so what could be wrong? 
Now again, most of you, this is not a problem for you. It was a problem for me. Anything that's not a faith is sin. And I just knew this that had a hold of me. I just had to have it every day. You know, we're laughing at this, but really it was a problem. And when I was in, uh, like I said, when I was in New Mexico, I'd, again, I'd drive for miles every day and have, have to have it. And if I didn't, it's almost like I'd go have the shakes or something. But um, needed to satiate that, oh, it was almost like a mental addiction. I've got to have my daily ice cream. And it had a grip on me. Then I remember um, I started becoming convicted, and I thought, well, I, I need to get this. This can't be right. First of all, hogging us is expensive. That's an expensive habit. That's almost like smoking. It was like $4 for a pint. So I tried to go a couple days without having it, and it was tough going one day. I mean, now I'm in civilization where I've got my own freezer, and I could barely go one day without uh, ice cream. And then I'd go to the market, and I'd find myself going back and forth in front of the aisle. And I'd look at it, and I'd say, no, 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 no. I, you, you just must think, Pastor Doug, you're, you're really weird. But it was that bad where I'd, I'd get my groceries, and in the back of my mind, I'd get the things that were just normal, you know, just chips and salsa, the basics. And I'd, I'd go up and down the aisle, and, and uh, I'd look at it. And I'd go around the store, and I'd look at it. And sometimes I'd see it was on sale. And I'd think, well, Lord, that must be a sign. <laughs> Y'all heard about the guy named Harvey worked in this cubicle in an office somewhere, and he had a real problem with donuts. And every day, and he was getting bigger and bigger, and, and he knew, and sometimes his friends would try to encourage him, and they'd say, Harvey... He said, you know what? I'm, I'm giving up donuts. I'm giving up donuts. And the next day he'd be there and he had donuts, big old box of donuts. Some, he'd give some to some of the other workers, but that was his excuse for him to eat donuts. He'd bring them for everybody else because he wanted donuts. And uh, I know people that are always baking cookies for the neighbors but that's so they can keep a few too. And he said, Harvey, I thought you said you were swearing off donuts. He said, well, you know, I was, but on my way to work this morning, I drove by the donut shop, and I always have to drive by on my way to work, and there's always no parking there. It's, the parking's always full. And I said, Lord, if there's an empty parking place in front of the donut shop, then I'll take that as a sign that you don't mind. And he said, I only had to drive around the block six times before I found an empty <laughs> parking spot. You ever found that we find a way to do what we want to do? And I was doing that. I was finding excuses. I was trying to rationalize and saying, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out. But, you know, sometimes what goes in your mouth will, mouth will affect what comes out. Do you know you can get drunk on ice cream? Councils on Diet and Foods, 331. Some use milk and large amounts of sugar on mush thinking that they're carrying out health reform, but the sugar and the milk combined are liable to cause fermentation in the stomach and are thus harmful. I wonder how many times I went to bed drunk <laughs> on ice cream fermenting in my stomach. And this was a problem for years. 
I don't think I mentioned when I was living with mom in New York City, I had my tonsils out. I was constantly getting colds. I was always snorting, couldn't breathe through my nose. And uh, I actually had two surgeries on my nose. They thought it was a deviated septum. The doctor then thought it was my tonsils. I just couldn't breathe. I later learned I was allergic to milk. But you know, some people live with something like that for years and they never know they've got a problem because they've never spent one day in their life being healthy. And if they were healthy for a day or two because you just, you never made the connection what it was. I know there were some times I was up in the cave. I'd go a week without seeing anyone. I had no ice cream. I felt great. Then I'd go eat the ice cream and I'd never make the connection that all of a sudden I'm coughing and I'm snorting and I can't breathe and had terrible hay fever problems and, and uh, I didn't realize it. So, yep. And then I went through a period of withdrawal. I said, I've got to get a grip on this because it's got a grip on me. It's expensive. You know, one of the things that convicted me, and I'm embarrassed. Now we're getting serious. Again, I want to make it clear. You got ice cream in your freezer? You may do that in faith. It's not a problem for you. Are we clear on that? I'm not trying to make this sin for you. It was a problem for me. It got so bad, friends. Now, I, I'm reluctant to mention this to you because I hope I don't lose your confidence, but I'm just being open and honest with you. I would be speaking somewhere out of town and Bonnie, my secretary, has been since I've been with Amazing Facts, she'd say, do you need a rental car? And I'd say, well, yeah, get me a rental car. And then she'd look and say, oh, well, Doug, you're, you're speaking at a hotel not too far from the airport, and there's a shuttle. You sure you need a rental car? And I'd say, well, I might want to go get something to eat. <laughs> and I was afraid that if I didn't have wheels, I might not be able to get my ice cream. And the only thing I might use the car for that weekend was to go to 7-Eleven. Do you know how expensive that ice cream was? Now, I hope that's not going to hurt donations to Amazing Facts. <laughs> I told you this was a confession. I have since been convicted about that, and I've made donations to Amazing Facts. Not that you can appease for your sins that way, but I just said, oh, Lord, what in the world was I thinking? Being honest with myself, I finally realized, what in the world are you doing? But you know, when you're addicted, that's what you do. You do the dumb, there's people end up in jail. Doing things they normally would never do because they need to get money to get their fix. I'm sharing this message with you because we're talking about ice cream and I can do that in church without totally losing your confidence. But you realize at this point in the message, we're not just talking about ice cream. You take the word ice cream, erase that, and you write in what your problem is. There might be ice cream for you. I don't know. There might be someone else that's ready to stand up and say, Amen, Pastor Day. I'm with you. I know. Every day. I've had some other guys, they heard me talk about this. I said, I am exactly where you were. But I was struggling. And then for a while, it was, I'd get the victory. I'd go a few days. And then I go to the market and I go through this struggle and sometimes I was successful and sometimes I failed. And you know, the Lord's got a sense of humor. The, the market where we shop in Sacramento, one of our members works there in, in uh, bagging. 
And don't you just love it when you go to the supermarket and the cashier comments on what you're buying? <laughs> and there I would be, two or three pints of haagen and they'd say, oh, somebody's going to have a party. Can I come? <laughs> and I remember this dear sister. I'd walk in the store, and she was easy to spot. And I'd see her from a distance, and I'd hide from her. Because I was going to get some ice cream, and she used to say to me, Hi, where do you put all that ice cream? How do you, wow, here you come again. Look at all that ice cream. Don't you love when people say stuff like that? So I'd look, and I'd see she was there, and I thought, oh. And she'd think, you know, because haagen is the expensive stuff. And she'd think, what pastors sure get paid a lot. They can eat haagen Us working at the market, we can't eat that. We've got to eat the cheap stuff. And uh, so I'd look, and I'd wait until she went to somewhere else, and I'd try to go do the self-checkout real quick. She'd make it a point to run over and say hi. <laughs> oh, looks like we're on another ice cream run. <laughs> she became my conscience. <laughs> and this, I'm absolutely serious. This is what was going on. I started going to a different store. Just because I was trying to, you know, do this and, and have, not have anybody know. But um, I noticed something, that the weeks that I made it, uh, I felt really good. And I could breathe. And um, it wasn't, and, you know, I, I, it wasn't just that I was bragging, here I'm a vegetarian and I, I don't use cheese, I don't eat pizza, and I stuff myself on ice cream every night. And it is, it was, it's really true. I don't want to get too technical with you. But haagen ice cream was mostly fat. It didn't have hardly any skim milk in it. I was really allergic, and I, I had a much harder time when I you know, ate cheese or if I drank milk in my cereal, I really felt it. But there was enough in there. It was making it. And I go a few days with an ice cream, and I'm going, <sighs> I could breathe. I noticed, you look at the old tapes of me preaching. You'll hear me keep, <coughs> I know it's kind of gross, but that, that's what happened. <laughs> you know what that was? I was a vegetarian. I didn't eat any, no milk, no cheese, ice cream every day. Net 99, every night after the meeting, hugging us ice cream. Sometimes if I was at a store where I couldn't get that, I'd get something else. But I'm telling you, friends, it was bad. This went on for years. And the Lord was just convicting me and saying, Doug, this has got, it's got, a, it's hooks on you. You can't say, you are controlled by the flesh and not by the spirit. But the Lord says, ice cream. I'm not going to drive off the road like, you know, drugs or something. I can pass the test if the highway patrolman draws a line, you know. Just ice cream. And I'd argue with myself and I've worked hard. And I've overcome in so many other areas, Lord. I don't drink, Lord. I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke cigarettes. That smoking was tough. I don't smoke it. And I start saying, Lord, compared to other people, this is a little thing. You ever use those arguments? But it, it just controlled me. I remember my father was an alcoholic. He was a functioning alcoholic which meant that he would work and he'd be sober all day long. Around lunch, he'd have to have something to drink. 
he would always pick wherever we had lunch. It had to be a place that served alcohol. So the alcohol controlled where we had lunch. And if we ever went out to dinner as a family, there had to be alcohol. He'd never take you to a restaurant if there wasn't because he had to drink. And from the time he got off work, he usually drank himself to sleep every night. Uh, all the time I knew him. And I started wondering if I got a little bit of that, except mine was not martinis. It was ice cream. And nothing is supposed to have a grip on you like that. The Bible says, and you heard in our scripture reading, sin shall not have dominion over you. There's a statement, Signs of the Times, February 14, 1878. The divine power combined with human effort will give to all the perfect and entire victory. Every believing mind will be filled with conscientious or conscious power. The language of the soul will be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so all the time that people have heard me for years preaching and teaching, and you know, I believe and try to practice everything I was saying, but all that time I felt like such a hypocrite because I'm preaching this health message and I was addicted. Years ago, a guy named Larry Grosse wrote a song. I don't know if anyone remembers. It's not a Christian song, but I'm just going to read the words to you. It's called Junk Food Junkie. Any of you ever heard that? You know I love that organic cooking. I always ask for more. And they call me Mr. Natural on down at the health food store. I only eat good sea salt. White sugar don't touch my lips. And my friends are always begging me to take them on microbiotic trips. Yes, they are. Oh, but at night I take out my strong box that I keep under lock and key. And I take it off to my closet where no one else can see. I open that door so slowly. I take a peek up north and south. And they pull out a hostess Twinkie and I stuff it in my mouth. <laughs> yes, in the daytime I'm Mr. Natural just as healthy as I can be. But at night I'm a junk food junkie. Dear Lord, have pity on me. Well, at lunchtime, you can always find me at the whole earth vitamin bar just sucking on my plain white yogurt from my hand-thrown pottery jar and sipping a little hand-pressed cider with a carrot stick for dessert and wiping my face in a natural way on the sleeve of my peasant shirt. Oh, yes. But when that clock strikes midnight and I'm all by myself, I work the combination on my secret hideaway shelf and I pull out some Fritos corn chips, Dr. Pepper, and an old moon pie. And I sit back in glorious expectation of a genuine junk food high. Oh, yeah, in the daytime, I'm Mr. Natural, just as healthy as I can be. But at night, I'm a junk food junkie. Dear Lord, have pity on me. Oh, folks, but lately I've been spotted with a Big Mac on my breath. Stumbling into Colonel Sanders with a face as white as death. I'm afraid someday they'll find me just stretched out on my bed with a handful of Pringles potato chips and a ding-dong by my head. <laughs> In the daytime, I'm Mr. Natural, just as healthy as I can be. But at night, I'm a junk food junkie. Dear Lord, have pity on me. You know why I share that with you? It's because it talks about hypocrisy. And it's one of the most dangerous things is to live a life where we have a pretense of godliness a form of godliness, but we deny the power because something's got its hooks in us. Now again, for most of you, it may not be anything. 
Praise God. The, the Lord may be helping you live your life in victory, and I hope that's the case. But I've been pastor long enough to know there's a lot of people that come to church week after week, and they go through the motions, but they're not being controlled by the flesh. They're being controlled by the Spirit. And there's people that will brag about their vegetarian diet, but they're addicted to pornography. So what profit is it to you if you've got uh, perfect health when the Lord comes, if your mind is defiled? Or they brag about their faithful tithe pain, but they beat their wife. Again, fill in the blank. I don't need to say too much about that because usually the Holy Spirit's not too far away and, and we know. It's amazing when a person is ready to die, they almost always know what to confess because it's something that they struggle with. I heard a pastor say once years ago at a camp meeting, I was a young Christian, and he said he worries that uh, there's some people, they come to Jesus, and they got that sin that bothers them, but somehow they still get baptized, and 20 years later, they still got the sin, but it doesn't bother them very much anymore. And you can look really good, so good to everybody else, and when you compare yourselves among yourselves and by yourselves, you think, oh, it's a little thing. But how much of us does the Lord want? A man who's looking for the kingdom of heaven is like someone who finds a treasure in his field and he goes and sells all that he has. Or a pearl of great price. And he goes and he sells all that he has. And Jesus said, whoever comes up to follow me, if he's not willing to forsake all that he has and take up his cross and follow me, he can't be my disciple. Jesus is unambiguous about that. He wants all of our heart. Now, that doesn't mean a Christian will not fall, but if something has dominion over you, then you've not been saved. God wants to set you free. It says in Romans, I want to just read it, make sure you caught this. Romans 6, 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. But it's not to have dominion over you. And then if you look in Romans chapter 8, people always focus on Romans 7. They don't get to the, the great crescendo, which is the first few verses of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free of the law of sin and death. For the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, the battle between the flesh and the Spirit the carnal mind and the spiritual mind is something that you are going to be waging the whole time you're a Christian. You can just think every day. You know, one of the things, it's kind of interesting, if you have a problem with smoking, you can quit smoking, you'll survive. You don't need it. I talk to young people, they're struggling with all the hormones and they think, oh man, I don't know how I can live without sex until I get married. So trust me, you will not die. You won't, you might think, but you won't die. You'll be fine. But food, you can't just quit. You've got to be able to eat it 
under control. And so the, how many of you just every day, every meal, you got to say, I've had enough. Somebody said one time, one of the keys to success in life is you've got to know how to wake up when you're still a little sleepy, stop eating when you're still a little hungry, and stop talking while you still have something left to say. <laughs> Take self-control. But every day, God wants us to be able to pray that we'll be controlled by the Spirit this day and not by the flesh. Now, like I said, it doesn't mean you're not going to have battles, but sin should not have dominion. Do not let sin reign in your mortal flesh. And I thank the Lord, and I praise God. I struggled, and I prayed, and praise God, He gave me the victory. It didn't come easy. And it's been years since I've had any ice cream. I've been waiting. Karen's, oh, she'll buy me some soy ice cream every now and then. Or, as a matter of fact, she bought me a pint a month ago. It still haven't touched it. You know, once you're used to Hagen Doss, the other stuff just doesn't cut it. <laughs> and it's not quite the same, is it? And you know, the real test came for me. I finally realized that, praise the Lord, he gave me the victory. You know, you can get to the point where you can praise God for victory. Amen. And I was flying overseas. I don't even remember what country it was. I just remember I was in the air flying overseas, and it was really neat. I got upgraded to business class, which is pretty special. I just want you to know I flew out here. I had the last seat in the plane. That doesn't always happen to Pastor Doug, but I was in the last seat yesterday right by the bathroom. And uh, uh, I was flying, I got business class, and it, the upgrade was predetermined, so I said I'd like to have a veggie vegan meal. And so I got done eating this delightful meal, and I was just getting ready, to, you have to go, you know, time yourself to go to sleep on these overseas flights because your time change is all different. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to snuggle up and go to sleep, and I saw that she was coming down the aisle one more time and I heard her say the word dessert. This is up in the business class section. I said, oh, dessert. I thought it would have been on my tray, but they bring it separate. And I looked and I thought, oh no. She's handing everybody their own half pint of vanilla haagen <laughs> Now here I am, I'm be being treated like royalty. And I thought this is really not, and I thought, Oh, Doug, just splurge a little bit. You know, God's blessing. Now here you get upgraded. You may as well enjoy it. Just splurge. Treat yourself. Boy, the devil, he has so many arguments. And then the other voice is saying, Doug, you know you're going to fall off the wagon. You haven't had any ice cream in months. If you do it now, you're going to be back where you were before. And so she came finally out, and I began to sweat. Because she's going up the aisle. I could see her coming. I thought, I've got to make a decision. Oh, what am I going to do? If I say yes, and I, who knows what will happen? And uh, when she got to me, I thought, <clears throat> just by the grace of God, I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm weak right now. I said, I'm up here. You know, I'm in business class. I've just been nurturing the flesh. And I said, you're going to have to give me the spirit to say no right now. And she came and she said, would you like your own? She held it up, you know, it's like a model until, would you like your own half pint of vanilla? I said, yes, but I'll pass. Amen. And you know what? From that time until now, 
it just left me. I'm not tempted. I can walk by the frozen food section, and when I used to quiver, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's just, I am free at last. Praise God. You know, it was like that for me with cigarettes, too. Because, like I said, the same principle. I struggled. I quit and started, quit and started. And the big test for me came. I was driving cross-country by myself. And I stopped, this years ago, before I was baptized. I stopped at a Denny's coffee shop to get a cup of coffee and to keep me awake. I had not smoked in three weeks. And that's back when you could smoke in a restaurant. And I sat down at the bar stool next to a guy, had a nice conversation, and he had a pack of Marlboro. That's what I smoked right next to me, drinking a cup of coffee, coffee and cigarettes. Oh, it just went together all the time. And I'm thinking, all I got to do is say, do you mind, could I have a cigarette? And he would have given me one. Just, I thought, Doug, just smoke one. And I hadn't smoked in weeks, and I'd been trying to quit for years, and I thought, if I smoke that one, yeah, you'll get that little rush. It'll last between five and seven minutes. And then you'll drive away and you will feel so bad for so long because you failed. Again, and you're, you're just back in that addiction. And I, I resisted the temptation that day and that was the day the Lord gave me the victory. And I was never tempted again. And you know, with these things you struggle with, Jesus resists the devil and it says, and he left him for a season. You know, if you flee, resist the devil, and what's the promise? It doesn't say it's going to be easy. The Garden of Gethsemane is not easy. The wilderness temptation was not easy for Jesus. It was a temptation. And you may struggle with the flesh. But if you continue to do what you know God is calling you to do, He can give you the victory. And it is, it is so wonderful, friends, you know. Now I'm going to start sounding like a vegan fanatic. Now I am a vegan vegan. I just was at Taco Bell at your town, wherever the next Taco Bell is. And I had such a hard time trying to explain to the young man, no cheese, no sour cream, nothing, milk. And they, say, they look at you like you're crazy. And I don't like to be fanatical, but just for me, it's, I, I'm allergic, and I just know it, it affects me. But I, it feels so good to feel good. Amen. It is so nice to be able to breathe. Amen. And you know, when God gives you the victory over sin, it is so nice to feel like the Holy Spirit is in your life because the devil doesn't have his hooks in you. And you can pray with a clear conscience. And God wants you to have the victory. One of the most important things that could happen at a camp meeting is not just to come for the wonderful fellowship and to hear the inspiration, but to come and to be different when you go home. And if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, praise God, that means you're still alive. I'd say, Lord, you've spoken to me tonight and maybe there's a cold confession I'm struggling with. And I don't want to become comfortable in my sin. I don't want to continue to rationalize what my issues are. I want to confess to you and ask you for victory. And the Lord wants to set you free. And you might be thinking, oh, this has been a problem for years. It doesn't matter. I know people who have struggled with drugs and alcohol for years and the Lord set them free and they were completely free. And whatever it is for you, Jesus is more powerful than any sin you might be struggling with, friends. You got to come to him and ask him. So I just opened up. Are we friends? I just was very honest with you tonight. I'm not proud of what I'm sharing with you. 
only reason I can is because I feel like I want to share with you just the anatomy of what God did for me and how I was rationalizing because it sort of applies in all of our lives. But the Lord wants to set us free. And it's not like Pastor Doug has arrived. Don't misunderstand. There's other issues I'm not ready to confess. God's working on me. But I believe that he that has begun a good work in me is able to perform and complete what he started. The Lord wants us to be completely free. Is that your desire? Let's ask him, shall we? Shall we stand together as we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, as we come together tonight and briefly opened your word, we just talked in a very basic sense about the struggle we all face between the spirit and the flesh. We know that you want to live and rule in our hearts and there's often other things that are controlling our time and our means that are distracting us from giving you complete control of our lives. Lord, sometimes we've offered you our home, but we reserve certain rooms that we lock for ourselves. And there may be places in our lives where we're hypocrites. And uh, there's things that we're hiding we know that other people may not know about, but nothing is hidden from you. And Lord, we want to be completely free. So we open our hearts to you right now and each of us may be lifting a different kind of prayer in a different area, but we want to be united in being 100% your children. Lord, we're living in the last days and we believe there's no limit to what you can do in the world to spread the gospel except our own complete surrender. Help us right now, Lord, to say that we lay aside our cross or lay aside ourselves and take up our cross and are willing to follow you uh, give us victory. First and foremost, we're confessing. We're presenting to you whatever the struggle might be. And we're saying, Lord, save us. Without you, we can't do anything, but we still believe that through Christ, all things are possible. Help us to experience those victories now. We pray that you can be glorified in our lives and what we say, what we do, what we eat, and what we drink. And we thank you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.